0: For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's three up top this evening, and that means leading the line from the front and wearing the captain's armband is Carl. So, Carl, how have things been over the summer break?
0: Yeah, really good, thanks, Dan. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago before the season ended, but we've had a couple of weeks, haven't we, to kind of refresh. And to be honest now, looking forward for the football to get going again. Absolutely. Not to mention,
1: of course, you are always supported by James. James, are you looking forward to doing it all over again for the next eight months or so?
2: Yeah, hopefully we've got a little bit more to smile about this season. Um, but yeah, it'd be great to chat about it with you fellas, and it's, it's good to be back, it is.
1: Well, also making his return to the show tonight is Mike. Mike, how have you been, mate? I hope all is well, and also I hope my internet connection is a lot stronger than when we last spoke.
3: Yes, mate, yeah, uh, good to be back. Feels like uh, it was only a couple of weeks ago we was uh, recapping the season, so yes, yeah, definitely good to be back.
1: Yes, very little rest, but rest is needed all the same. And before we get into the cut and thrust of it all, we've got a new segment this season called Tell Us About Yourself. Quite simply, some quick fire questions for our non regular guest. And although Carl James will probably get asked these questions at some point in the season, I'm going to start with you, Mike. So, Mike, very simply, when did you first start supporting Tottenham?
3: Um, it's quite a hard one to remember, really. Just sort of since birth, I can almost imagine. My old man started taking. I remember going to my first game at sort of age four or five. So that's sort of mid to late 90s. Awful era to be a Spurs fan, but. I don't remember the glory years, so I guess it's all been awful.
1: That certainly shapes you as a fan that era. But who's your favourite player growing up?
3: It's got to be Ledley King.
1: Good shout. I just
3: think he's one of them players that he's just... Every, every password going up from M&M, uh, MSN passwords to uh, you know, secret words <laughs> with the banks have always had some sort of Ledley King <laughs> or some sort of reference towards him. So I think it would be doing him an injustice if I said anybody else.
1: OK, who's your favourite player in the current squad?
3: It's got to be Sir Harry Kane, isn't it? He's on his way to a knighthood, and I'd have given it to him two years ago if it was up to me.
1: Okay, and finally, which player have you had a soft spot for across your whole Tottenham fandom? So it doesn't have to be right now, but it's someone a little bit left field that you like that maybe other people don't.
3: <laughs> other people don't. Um, not, not 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 necessarily that other people didn't like him, but Michael Carrick. I just thought the way he saw the game, uh, the, the, he sort of made things look really really easy. Um, and the way he just sort of controlled midfields was was, was second time. Was, I was sad to see him go. Top man, right,
1: great answers. That is the end of Test About Yourself for this week. Now let's get the social media bits out of the way so we can dissect the summer and more in full. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Common Newspires app where the podcast will be available each and every Tuesday morning. You can of course follow us across social media. We're on Twitter at C O I S underscore C O M and we're on all the major audio platforms: Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud. You name it, we're on there. And if we're not, let us know. We'll get it on there as well. Right, let's get down to business. And that business, Carl, is transfer business. Three players in at the time of recording. The odd fringe departure to go with it. Nothing really in the terms of, let's say, mass exodus. But the big question is, has there been enough business in your opinion?
0: Um, yeah, I think, you know, the couple of acquisitions have probably been sensible. You know, the Hoiberg the one in midfield, I think, is going to be a good sign-in. Um, obviously, you know, don't know too much about him. I didn't watch too many Southampton games. But, you know, I like the look of him already. You know, he says the right things. Um, and it looks like he's got a positive influence on the changing room already. Um, the Joe Hart one, I think that's a bit of a no-brainer. You know, if it helps your homegrown help home quota, um, then EEO we 're just looking at him as a second or third choice goalkeeper aren 't we so i can 't see any harm in that signing at all, um, but as we know, you know I think that the real stuff is going to come a little bit later on isn 't it? You know The transfer windows open a bit later this year, so we know as a club traditionally we don 't really go until that last day, and um, i 'm expecting a few more things to happen. Um, and I think we'll get some you know, some extra signings in. I think we'll get that extra striker that we probably need as some backup for Harry Kane. It'd be nice to see them in before the season starts. But I just think knowing the way we like to do business, I wouldn't be surprised if we start the season um, without adding anyone right now. And then we'll bring them in on that last day. And then obviously have that little bit of adjustment time. Um, but, yeah, has enough been done to probably push us on a lot further? I wouldn't say we've kind of set the world alight, and and I can't see them signings potentially suddenly making you think, oh, wow, we got a real shot at being within the top four or top three here this season, given what we've done in the transfer window. But are we surprised? I'm not particularly. We wasn't expecting us to pull up trees, Um, and I think, you know, that might be the case. And we'll just have to see if Joe Jose can get a little bit more out of this squad than he was able to just at the end.
1: So, James, as mentioned, we've had three new additions to our ranks. If we have a chat about each of them in their, I guess, chronological order that they arrived. First up, for you, what does Pierre Heuberg offer in midfield that we didn't have as a club last season?
2: Well, I, I, I was very excited uh, about this one. It was, it was the one that, that we all wanted to, to get over the line nice and quick, get him into the squad. Um, and and you know we we all thought he was going to take that you know, that starting eleven jersey and uh, and start at the base of that midfield and that would then in turn free up our, our more creative players to to go and attack uh, and you know and give us that little bit of more stability defensively. But you know seeing him playing in the, in the first few games now, I know they've only been preseason friendlies, but it doesn't appear to me like he's actually playing that role that we all thought he would which, um, you know, it's a little bit confusing whether things might change. I'm hoping they do because it all made perfect sense bringing him in. He's, you know, he's, he's won the ball the most times in the midfield third uh, in, in the Premier League. Um, you, know, he's, he's that, you know, he's been a captain at Southampton. He's a strong leader. He's vocal. He's, he's, he's really that, that bit of rough that we need in midfield. Um, and hopefully that means that we can get the best out of Lacelso Celso and maybe even Ndombele going forward. Um, but you know, it's just, just you know, seeing the way we've been playing in the preseason friendlies. He's every time I've seen him play, he's he's not been the furthest midfielder back. Um, whether that's that's tactical, or whether that's what he's meant to do, I think even Winks played further back than him uh, in the game the other day. Uh, it's a little bit worrying because you know we thought we knew why he was coming into the club, but. If it, if it works, then it works. And hopefully, it does mean that it, we, you know, we can see a little bit more flair out of the other players. Um, the, the deal itself made sense. You know, Walker-Peters was never going to really make it at the club, I don't think. Um, so him going that way, you know, about £3 million difference, I, th- I think it makes perfect sense. And as I say, it's another, it's another vocal leader in the dressing room. So it can only be a good thing.
1: And Mike, with what James has just said... Do you think the balance of midfield is closer to, shall we say, perfection, or does it still need something of a tweak? Be that in terms of the personnel being used, or another new body in the middle of the park?
3: Um, for me, it all boils down to what we see happening with um, Ndombélé. If 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 he sort of becomes the player we all sort of saw glimpses of, I think it's 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 a definitely a, a top four uh, challenge in midfield. Um, arguably, one of the best midfield threes. Um, and that 's Celso, Hoybier and and Andon-Belle. Um and obviously if ondonbel doesn 't pull his finger out or or he doesn 't or or he even leaves um before the end of the transfer window then yeah obviously we 'd need to either reinforce that i don 't see us doing a, uh, doing much sort of damage to that top four top six sort of spot with um without sort of reinforcing it. No.
1: So, Carl, with that in mind, what do you see as the optimum midfield shape? Admittedly, things will change depending on who you play and the competition you play them in. But let's say in your biggest game, be it, I don't know, a trip away to Arsenal or a cup final, dare I say, who is patrolling the middle of the park for you?
0: So, I, I think, you know, if you're playing a sort of a game against Arsenal, you know, you're going to go Hoiberg and possibly Sissoko to control that midfield there. Um you know, for me, I still worry about the lack of creativity that we've got in the squad right now, in terms of a central midfielder that I think can kind of create things and open up. Um, still got quite a bit of hope for LaCelso. so I'm hoping the Hoiberg signing can allow Lo Celso to maybe play a little bit further forward and try and do a little bit more damage. Um, and then, you know, I, I would potentially go Hoiberg, um, Sissoko, and then allow you know, La Celso or maybe Deli Alley to play behind behind Harry Kane and see if those two can kind of get some fire going, um, be the creative spark and allow us to push forward knowing that you've got those two behind you that are more than happy to do a defensive job and actually can be trusted to kind of control that area. That would be my kind of, I would probably say if I had to pick a starting side now, um, that would probably be the, the two I'd be going for in there.
1: And James, if we look at the arrival of Joe Hart, as Cole intimated, it's very much a homegrown quota filling signing, like I don't know Rob Green at Chelsea, Scott Carson at Manchester City. It's not going to get pulses racing, but it's still quite shrewd at the same time, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think. I mean, it's been said a million times on social media that it, he's he's not obviously not going to walk into the first team. He, you know, he he probably won't play at all because Gazaniga is is a second second choice keeper. That is, unless there's something in the pipeline for Gazaniga to to leave and go elsewhere in the prem. Um, you know, Johar. Everyone knows that he's he's not the the same goalkeeper that he was when he was. You know, starting for England for Man City. Uh, he's he's consistently failed at you know West Ham, Burnley. Now now he's at Spurs, but I I can't see us playing him at all if if very much. And so it's a very much a, a dressing room signing. Um, we've seen already that he's, he's a big character, he's a big voice, he's another player who's captained uh, teams at, at times and so he's got those leadership qualities that can get the best out of us. And you know, as, as has already been said, it, it fills that homegrown quota because there was, there, was, there was no need for Michel Vaughan to be taking up one of those uh, overseas players' spots when when he wasn't going to get a look in. So it all makes perfect sense and especially if, if Joe Hart is going to be there as um, you know, even as a goalkeeping coach, um, there's a, there's a wealth of experience there that he can he can be handing on to to the youngsters. Um, would be that goalkeepers or, or defenders, because you know, he's, he, at the end of the day, he's he's got a lot of experience at, at looking out and commanding defenses. So, uh, hopefully, um, hopefully he doesn't get on the pitch. I know that's a bit of a weird thing to say, but I, I, I'm not really very impressed with him as a goalkeeper anymore. But I, I think he's he's still got a lot of qualities to bring to the table. Uh, whether that be as a coach or as, as just as, as a big voice in the dressing room. So, Mike,
1: there is a, a consensus, shall we say, that Hart is going to be third choice. But at the same time, Premier League clubs are sniffing around Gazaniga. I know Aston Villa have been linked. So, could you see a scenario where Gazaniga moves out left and leaves the club, Hart comes in and then someone such as Alfie Whitman becomes the third choice? Could Hart be our number one deputy?
3: I sincerely hope not. <laughs> really? Um, oh, I don't know. It's, it, you know, you. It, it, you kind of got a bad taste in your mouth, you know. When you when you think of Joe Hart, you don't think of sort of the 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 match winning saves he made for Man City against Barcelona in the Champions League. You kind of think of right head and shoulders adverts failed failed stints at West Ham and Burnley or wherever he's been. You know, you just think a little bit. He leaves a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. Um, so yeah, hopefully Gasanegas does stay as number two. And Joe Hart can be that positive influence we need. I mean, you see with the, the goal he conceded against Watford on the weekend, um, albeit a pre-season friendly, but the geezer shot from 30 yards out and he shouldn't be beating Joe Hart from there.
1: It's a very true point. I mean, Carl, if we're honest, we spoke about Joe Hart's career on another successful football po- podcast, wink, wink. But, you know, we've, already, we've sort of said that he's a busted flush. Now now he's at Spurs, we're sort of thinking, well, he we might have an upward trajectory. Is there any truth in that? Is there a catalyst for a resurgence... Because let's be honest, he was a very unwanted goalkeeper only months
0: ago. Yeah, I, I've, I'm like the other guys. You know, my, my hopes of him are not there suddenly thinking, wow, you know, when he first burst on the scene, you're thinking, wow, this could be a goalkeeper for for, for many years to come and, and be a top, top goalkeeper. Um I actually, though, do believe I could see Gazaniga possibly being moved on um, and Joe Hart stepping up to be number two, because I think as a club now, if you're looking to raise transfer funds, you're possibly looking at anything you can get. Um, And when we know you've got a chairman who tries to wring every penny out of player sales, you can't see too many leaving for the sort of money that might be being offered. But Gazaniga is one of them. I could probably see a bid coming in and the club saying, well, listen, we've got Joe Hart here. You've got Whiteman sitting there. Um, let's take it. Let's get rid of, you know, that, that, let's just get rid of a guy that actually we're probably thinking, let's be honest with us. A lot of us had high hopes for him. But then after a run of games last season wasn't too impressed with how he was performing at certain points you know culminating in the game against Chelsea where he decided to kung fu kick William um in the top of his head for some unknown reason um so i can see joe stepping up to be in number 2 we've view it he may only get some cup games you know europa league um it, it wouldn't excite me um but at the same time if if they're looking just to raise some funds and got some guy and got joe hart in for nothing then, as James said, there's a wealth of experience. You know, he's been a title winner. So you're kind of thinking if he can bring that into the squad, Jose might be looking more about what he can bring to the team. And let's face it, the one good thing we'll know is at least our goalkeepers will have a good head of hair, nice, clean, you know, no dandruff or anything like that on them. So that's got to be a plus sign, hasn't it?
1: Well, there's always some uh, positive to take from it. And I guess, James, there's also a positive because we've signed a right-back. So we talk about unwanted. Matt Doherty, certainly not. Does that mean supporters can breathe a little easier in terms of defence? Because when we look at Serge Aurier, things were quite shaky towards the end of last season.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm celebrating the fact that, that Serge isn't, isn't uh, our starting right back more than the fact that we brought Doherty. I think that's, that's the, the big plus to take from this. Uh, I've, I've never been Aurier's biggest fan at all. Um, and if you, if you think about the, the things that we were criticising him for, you know, he, he's completely inept defensively. Uh, positioning dreadful uh, and most importantly that final product is is absolutely abysmal um, and for a from a player that, that gets so many opportunities to deliver the ball uh, it just it just isn 't good enough because it, he is quite often the the player who who we do get in the wide areas and who does get the chance to deliver the ball so you know if we 're talking five six seven crosses a game and he very rarely delivers on any of them um, you know that's that's an area an area that we really want to improve on, and and bringing in someone like Matt Dock is 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 fantastic. You know, he's he's not a, a great defensive right back. I, I'm sure you know no one is is claiming that, but he also hasn't got that inability to 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 mark a player that you, you don't think that he's going to dive in and give away a penalty at any moment like you do with O'Reilly. So. Uh and, and the fact that he's you know, a great player going forward, he's got great feet and, and a great final product, uh he's only a bonus really. Um, especially in the in the formation and in the tactics that Mourinho wants to play. Uh there's there's less pressure on him defensively and, and more more pressure on him to, to provide um going forward. You know, when when if it is Ben Davis slots in as a third centre back and and we see him Put, uh, you know, it would be doing pushing further up the pitch. It, it really does become really important that he can, can deliver a ball and can provide in those kind of areas. So, and and at the price, I think it's an absolute uh, an absolute steal. Um, so absolutely no complaints from me. And um, hopefully that Oreo will be out the door, and that's that's a, a couple of funds that we can raise um, in terms of, in terms of bringing other players into the club. That'd be perfect scenario for myself.
1: That leads us on to our next question. So, Mike, we've got our first listeners' question of the season. Before I ask it, everyone out there listening, do feel free to send in yours to me, at dantracy 983 on Twitter, and we'll read them out on Mondays. Don't hold back, as it's a platform for everyone else. Right, that's the begging out of the way. Mike, here's the question. It's one from our squad member, Holly, and she asks, will Aurier be gone before the season starts due to Doherty coming in, or would you be happy to surge as a backup? Is one right back really enough for you?
3: Um, it all depends again on what we see happen with Juan Foyt. Um, do we see Tanganga slipping in as a as a backup right back? Um, I also wouldn't be surprised. It would be very very Spursy if um, if we saw Sergio Aurier stay and become a right winger. I, I mean, he, he he was he was used there quite a lot um, positionally he might not have started there but there were times where we went behind towards the end of last season and he was used as almost as a utility right 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 winger. So it wouldn't be surprising me it wouldn't be a surprise to me if we saw him given that almost that free reign, just not to th- not to think about defending and and just bomb on and, and, and try and get forwards. Um which isn't gonna set the world alight but I mean without that defensive responsibility, who knows what he could turn into. We could have a we could have a potential uh, well-beater on our hands.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting concept. I mean, I don't think I'd personally be against Aurier being sold because I think we'd be light without him. And you never quite know if Tanganga is suitable with the shape we want to play and all that. And because of the logjam potentially that is around Aurier, Cole, will the club have a word in his ear and say, look, minutes are going to be diminished. It's in your best interest. It's actually in our best interest as a club because we need the budget for you to move on. But more importantly... Is that also a sad indictment of where we are because our budget has seemingly come to that scenario?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I, I I, can imagine, you know, and we'll we'll probably come on to it, you know, we'll come on to it later when we discuss, obviously, the All or Nothing documentary. But it, it's been highlighted there that Jose kind of feels the guy's a bit of a liability, isn't it? So... I get the impression that everyone all round would like a deal done um, and to move him on. And as you say, Dan, I think the club are probably sitting there thinking, well, we've probably got players we can cover that position with. You know, we've now brought probably who's going to be our main starting right back. We've got someone like, you know, Tanganga and Foyth who we can probably put in there should we need to uh, to push. Um, So, yeah, we want to raise funds. And I can imagine he is a player. They probably are trying to encourage him and say, listen, you know, come on do us a favour, just accept the deal that's being put to you here and move on. Um, It's probably best for all parties. Um, But again, it is one of those, isn't it, that as much as, yes, he can scare the life out of you when he's defending, he does get into some good positions going forward. He has had his moments this last season, and you're kind of sitting there thinking, would I like to see a potential side where you have him and Doherty basically there that you can rotate and use in certain games and maybe, you know, use surge further forward. Um, I'd rather probably keep him and be a little bit stronger in that position. If, if we weren't going to get someone in or add decent options, because for me, I don't really want to see Tanganga used there for me. He's the future at center back um, for us and and I really don't want to see us start to kind of use him as a utility player that covers certain positions because we've seen players over the years if they start to develop that sort of trait it's hard for them to nail down one position um but I do believe the club probably want to see him out the door and I reckon it will happen but again I don't think I don't see that being done before the start of the season I think we're going to see you know our last remaining bits of business probably done on the last day you know, the last day or last two days of the window. And obviously, unfortunately, that sometimes will upset a little bit of everything and means you're not settled for a little while, which then has a knock-on effect. But I do see him probably moving on.
1: Now, James, me and you, we've been doing these pods in different guises for a number of seasons now. And the same question always rears its head. Harry Kane, one striker, how do you get a backup, etc., etc. You know how this works by now. Do you think there'll be reinforcements in that department by the end of the window? Or is it a case of the more things change, the more things stay the same?
2: Well, I really panicked for a second then, mate, and thought you, thought you were going to ask me if this was Eric Lamella's season. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, yeah, I mean, in terms of Harry Kane, um, I've, uh, it's a frustrating one. Obviously, we have the whole world uh, and they're not going to get minutes, blah, blah, blah. If, if you look at our fixture list, Look at our, how congested our our, you know, our first month of the season is. Let alone the rest of it. Um, that is that is enough persuasion for for another striker to come in and and you're going to get minutes. You know whether it be instead of Harry Kane alongside Harry Kane. Uh, you know you're you're going to get on the pitch. Um, so that excuse for me is well and truly out the window. Um, at the moment, I think we're just not being ambitious enough in in who we're who we're looking at. Uh, I, I mean, Callum, Callum Wilson's you know, obviously gone to Newcastle today. I think that's someone that we really should have had tabs on. Uh, Twenty million odd. I think that that's a that's a snip. You know, we could we could get that uh, for for someone like Aurier going abroad, uh, and and you know, and reinvest the money in someone like Wilson if he was still available. And I think that someone like Wilson would complement Kane so well. Um, someone who's a little bit stronger on the ball and you know an, uh, an international teammate too. So I just think that would have been a, a great move for us. But obviously we've missed out on that one. Um, but it, it's we've just struggled to see how we we do miss out on those kind of players because he, he's been available for a long time. You know, Villa have been sniffing around him. Newcastle now have now got him. You just think surely if a club like Tottenham jumps in at the last minute and offers him somewhere. He, he, surely he'd rather come somewhere like, you know, somewhere like Spurs. Um, obviously, we don't know the ins and outs, but you know, from the outside looking in, that's just the way it is. Uh, if, in terms of the other names mentioned as as, a, as another striker, there's no one really that that blows me away. I, I, I don't really fancy Diego Costa, uh, and I'm not really convinced that so that's an option anyway. Um, uh, players like Chris Wood, you, know, no, you just no. think... There's just no. Why are we looking at players like this? You know, there just don't, doesn't seem to be another viable option out there that 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 we could we could go and get. And to me, I've, I don't even fancy Troy Deeney. I just don't. I don't really see the, see the appeal to, to having someone like that at the club. I think he he you know he's quite outspoken. He yeah you know, he's a, he's another big name, a big uh, personality in the changing room. But I just don't think it's someone that we need. So, it's, it's a difficult one. I think, I think it's someone we, we badly need, especially, of course, when you look at that fixture list. But it's going to be a little bit difficult to, to find that happy medium. Um, but using the, using the Minix excuse just, just won't wash with me anymore because there's no way um, that, that, that a player would complain that they wouldn't get on the pitch. because. Uh, but the, the way we're looking at it at the moment, Lucas Moore is going to be starting an awful lot of our games up top and that is just not, not what we want to see.
1: Mike, I'll get your take on Callum Wilson. As James says, he's pretty much slipped through the net. And a lot of people on Twitter have been saying, well, if Newcastle's spending money, why aren't we? You can't necessarily make that kind of direct comparison. You know, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances that come with it. But there is a sense we've been beaten to the punch. More importantly, why has that been the case?
3: Um, Maybe it's the optimist in me, but I'd like to think that if we were in for him, we would have got him. So yeah, yeah, my, I can I can I can draw the conclusion that we weren't in for him in the first place. It was all nonsense. It was all Twitter in the no rumours or whatever you want to blame it on. But I, ju- I just think that if we were in for him, we would have got him. It's it's not like we're battling with Man City, sort of Chelsea, Man United for 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 a signing. It's Newcastle and Villa, you know. Um, also, I've also just seen on Twitter that, that that Newcastle have just given him the number nine shirt, taking it off Joe Linton. So that kind of shows um, if there was ever any sort of battle to, to, to get him to sign, it was a we're going to, we're going to, we're putting our faith in you. You are going to be the starting striker at St James's. So I can't imagine if, if there were ever any talks with him, I, I doubt he'd be, he'd be sort of delighted to play Carabao Cup and the old Europa League game for us. Yeah, it's
1: a very fair point. It's, it's always difficult, isn't it? You know, we talk about, it's just the golden question, you know, how do you get that backup? What calibre of backup do you get? Do you get someone who keeps Harry Kane on his toes? Or do you get someone who knows they're placing the pecking order? And it's... Well, it
3: happened, it happened a couple of years ago when we tried to sign Alvaro Morata, well, didn't it? And um, he basically flat-out refused to sign. We, we agreed a fee with the club, apparently, um, and he flat-out refused to play second fiddle to Harry Kane. So that kind of shows you the mentality of him. Um, we, we kind of, I think if we are going to get someone, that you want someone with the arrogance... Um, who can sort of t- sort of convince himself that he is better than Harry Kane, um, and or we go the other way and we go someone young or w- without Premier League experience like Olly Watkins, who can learn from Harry Kane and potentially be a, a predecessor.
1: Yes, very fair shout, but I guess Carl, that always comes with the caveat of well, he's not experienced enough, and you can't please everyone, then can you?
0: Yeah, it, it is hard, isn't it? Um... You know, this is a real tough one to see where they're going to go because you either look at potentially maybe going and, you know, if you look at the, some of the strikers you think as a club we could get, but again, you put someone like Danny Ings in the frame where you go, well, wow, great season, looks like he's found his form again, and someone that you'd go, yeah, I'd take Danny Ings. But again, you know, Southampton wouldn't let him go for sort of 30 to 40 million. And again, you're sitting there thinking, oh, do I actually want Danny Ings over 30, 40 million? Oh, I don't know, actually. I'm not sure if I'm prepared to use that much of the transfer budget on that sort of player. And again, someone who, yes, you know, he'll get plenty of minutes, but he won't be your main attacking striker for the season. So this is a really tough one to try and fill. My only thing, I know James said they wouldn't want someone like Troy Dini or, say, Diego Costa. But again, I, I'm sitting there thinking that might be the sort of player that Jose wants. Um, because of the style of play that they come with and the way they play the game. And again, then you are sitting there thinking, well, you know, if you're looking there at someone who may not cost a lot of money, but comes with a certain amount of experience um, and can bring that into the squad, um, and then if they're only going to be used for certain games and certain situations... I'd maybe rather risk buying someone like that for a season or so, um, given their experience and and what you know you'll probably get out of them, than taking a chance on, say, another Janssen or something from another division, and just saying, "Well, okay, yes, this guy's not going to set the world alight. He's not the future. You know, we're not going to get four or five years out of him, but we may just get one or two seasons right now where he can come on." lend Harry a hand in certain games or allow him to have a rest in certain situations. And I think that's probably what the club are weighing up. Um, And I think that's probably what we'll see us go and do. We won't go and get a sign in that you're sitting there going, wow, this, this is exciting. We've now got a, a real good backup striker. We'll probably just get one that you say, we've got a backup striker of some form um, that is a natural, a natural striker rather than a winger moving into that position. And, and that's what I see us do. Um, but th- this will be an ongoing thing until we finally do get someone that you go, yeah, well, there you know, you've now got competition. But that is hard to do.
1: Well, another aspect you have to remember is that Really, we're putting a lot of faith in Troy Parrott and there's no, I, I say there's no point, but there is some logic in not really putting all your eggs in another striker who's of the same age or a similar ilk because then you've got a bit of a log jam when Troy actually gets to proper first team football. So if you're trying to sort of stem the gap, someone like Jago Costa might be the perfect kind of signing because yes, he sort of takes the mantle of backup or um, addition for one, two years, And then hopefully by that point, Troy Parrott's ready to sort of get back into the fold himself. So you've got to sort of think as much as you can long term. I know it's quite hard because football is such a sort of short term business, but you don't want to sort of overload and then you've got a sort of nice problem further down the line. So that might be sort of part of the thinking as well. Get more of a seasoned veteran, fill that gap now, and then hopefully we sort of reap the benefits further down the line. But, you know, such is football and such is Spurs. That's never as easy as it is. Right, that's the transfer talk for tonight. Don't worry, there'll be plenty more over the next few weeks and months to come. But there's a small matter of a football documentary, one narrated by the broke out of Batman. Cole, of course, it's all or nothing. Now, obviously, there's some filler, such as Christian Eriksen butchering a Christmas joke and all that. But the biggest thing I've taken from it is Jose Mourinho, you can tell he just wants to achieve success for Spurs. That's quite clear. More importantly, I feel that he seems very genuine in his discussions. And I think he sort of makes people buy into what he's trying to do, both players and even people watching it. Is that something that you would agree with?
0: yeah I think he's coming across really well isn't he you know in the episodes we've seen right now um as you say he comes across as very open very honest you know he says in one of the first interviews isn't he you know I say things without a filter um and you're either gonna like that or you're not gonna like it and you know you see the calling out of someone like Deli Alley early on where you know he basically tells him flat out and in front of everybody else you know you are lazy basically um and as you say, he has got, you can see there is that passion to kind of prove people wrong. You know, you have the brilliant scene where he's watching Sky Sports News, don't you? And, you know, some of the looks in there are probably worth the documentary fee just alone, um, that little one sequence in his office. But you do get the impression he is coming across as open, honest. He's got a desire to be successful for the club. Um, and, and that can only be a good thing. Um, and I get the impression he seems a really likeable bloke at the moment from what you're seeing and someone that you wouldn't mind having as a manager right now.
1: James, I've got a Chelsea supporting friend and he has suggested that Daniel Levy has had a lot of influence on the narrative that we're seeing. And he means that perhaps the episodes have been engineered to make Mourinho paint in a far greater light. As if to say, yeah, we sat potch, but look at this lovely man we've got in. Is there some modicum of truth in that?
2: Yeah, I think I think there there could be um, I, I, only because the the snippet that we saw of Pochettino was was what fifteen minutes of the first episode, um, and I, I think it'd be a very different story if if the first three or four episodes were um, Pochettino's Tottenham. Um, I think you'd you know you'd, you'd it's it's very different from someone uh, from the outside looking in. You know, this is to me this isn't just a documentary. This is this is running through the last what has been has been the last couple of years of my life and has been one of the most important things in my life uh, and for them to, to you know just scoot over even even things like the 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 Champions League semi-final the Ajax game and the Champions League final they they just kind of scratched over that in the first uh, within the first half an hour and and really that is such a massive part of the narrative um, that you know what we what they I think they, they they struggled to get across really was just how in love we were with that Tottenham side the the Pochettino's Tottenham everyone was in love with that team um, you know it was even people who, who you never thought could be won over to, to liking Tottenham we were we were a, a team for the neutrals for a little while just because we were played such attractive football and Pochettino such a likable character and we played and you know, we, we had a great team. And then, and then things went wrong. And now we're we're kind of there's there's that breed of people who are kind of struggling to warm to Mourinho because he's not Pochettino and because it's not as nicey nicey as it was for the last five years. Um, It doesn't really come across like that, as you say. It kind of comes across like Tottenham sat their their manager because they couldn't win a game, and um, now they've brought in Jose Mourinho, who is is a lovely man. And he's got a bit of a sharp side to him, uh, and and he's also got this lovely chairman who who come who pops into his office for for a cup of tea and and talks about football. It, it it's it's all a matter of perspective, you know. We we know things are a little bit different as to how they're being portrayed in in the in the documentary, um, but it's it's always nice to see it from another perspective. Um, none of us are going to come out come out watching all all you know the whole thing. Going, oh, I've changed my mind. on Daniel Levy. He's a great bloke because we're, we're we're not all that naive, are we? No. Um, and and the same about Mourinho. You know, there's there's going to be there's probably going to be some bits and bobs in there that, that we aren't that we haven't seen. And when the cameras are off, it could be a completely different story. Um, I was just a little bit disappointed with with the the way the the whole doc. It's a brilliant documentary. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm, I'm really impressed so far. But I, I think they could have made a lot more of, of, of the start of it and, and
0: they, there's an I, awful I lot of the, content. I guess the only thing there though, the James, start. on that, if you're looking at it from a Spurs point of view, this is not a market in a Pochettino, is it? They, they're they yeah. probably looking at it as, hold on a minute, if we make the first three episodes all Poch and a bit of a Poch in to begin with, we 're basically marketing this bloke who 's not with us anymore and possibly yeah. help him get another job somewhere else, which would cause us a problem. so I think the line you 're seeing is that 's just scoot over this part with this bloke yeah. because he 's no longer associated with a club and, and we don 't want to promote him in a way so let 's just get him out and I, in, I think wh- yeah in, in which disappointment case appointment because yeah. I, I think we all would have loved to have seen, wouldn't we? Hundred percent. What was yeah. the reactions in the dressing room like after defeats against Colchester, against Brighton? What What was the narrative? You know, were the players completely gone against him? You know, from from the first twenty minutes, we see Poch looked a beaten man, didn't he? You know, the whole squad, it just all looked like everyone had lost their heads a little bit and that desire. But the fact we haven't been able to see that dressing those dressing room scenes. To see kind of were things as toxic as kind of maybe people have suggested or was it not like that? I'm with you. I think that was really disappointing. But if you're looking at it from a marketing view, the spin is this is about Tottenham. This is about where we are now and we're not going to dwell on that in the past, um, which is a shame.
2: In right. which case, Dan, your your Chelsea supporting mate is
0: is absolutely right because
2: it's 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 Mourinho propaganda and it's Tottenham propaganda at the end C- of the day. Can I so... just
3: chuck my two pence yeah, in? Yeah, yeah, go for it, mate. I um I, I watched an interview slash podcast with two of the producers of the All or Nothing uh, part of the Amazon team or the third party that Amazon hired to film it, and they said they didn't they weren't actually allowed to get most of the cameras into the into the training facilities or the dressing rooms and stuff like that until after the international break which is and I don't know whether that's CODs and that's them covering up for for Daniel Levy paying them to edit it so there wasn't too much sort of Pochettino stuff or is actually the truth but they did say they weren't allowed they weren't allowed to get um, they didn't get they they said they didn't have much film from before the international break which is when we obviously we sat Pochettino the weekend or during the week
0: before the international break and that's when Jose came in so We we could also be a narrative here that maybe Potch when he left, has got some agreement in his contract that he doesn't want some of this being seen. Because a team crumbling when you're the manager, if you've got fly on the wall footage of changing rooms where players are going against you, suddenly that being seen by potential new, if you like, employers isn't going to put you in a good light. And we never know, you know, Poch, obviously, we knew he wasn't a fan of this documentary and the cameras and that being there. And he may have said, I'll leave, and but I want some of this agreement that there's not much of me and the changing room stuff shown. Because, you not know, be funny, That this could hinder me going forward in my job search. It's such a murky world of what's probably gone down in contracts, isn't there? You know, you see the situation where Joe's saying that are uh, at the table with um, Jose's agent, with Levy, saying, well, we've done well to keep this quiet, haven't we, for so long? So the stuff that's going on in the background is, is stuff that you can't even probably begin to comprehend when you think about this sort of stuff.
1: Oh, absolutely. There's so much we don't know. But, Mike, now that Cole mentions Pochettino, I want to ask you, where does his next job come from? Because he was in the Barcelona frame. I know he sort of said, I'll never manage him, and then he sort of slightly backtracked because he thought, actually... I haven't got as many options as I first thought. So, without being flippant, is he in danger of being the Argentine Alan Kerbishley who have always linked with jobs, <laughs> But being the Neely man? Because when you sort of look and think, he hasn't actually won anything, like, does he go to a very top job? Like, where does he start his managerial career again?
3: See, I'm of the opinion that his next job needs to be one where he can, he can win stuff. Um, does he take a relatively easy job in a mediocre European league, like Portuguese league, does he take the sport in Porto, Benfica type job? Your Ajax is someone like that where you're guaranteed to win or have a very good chance of winning something because you don't want what this is going to be is what his fourth European job yes. without winning anything, without doing much, without all right, he got us to a, a Champions League semi final. And it was, it was it was phenomenal the way we got there, but there was a hell of a lot of luck involved, and we sort of bumbled through. And you know we didn't we didn't we didn't make it there, beating everyone three or four nil. So we we hardly set the world alight. So I think I think he needs to be very very careful not to not to ruin his sort of career before it's already started. Because if he takes a job, let's say he goes and gets the Real Madrid job, if, if he doesn't do too well there, no one's going to touch him with a barge pole. So. I think he's got to be very, very tactical about his next, his next position.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating, really. It's all about managerial stock. I mean, me and Cole have spoken about it so many times, even with Eddie Howe. And If you get your timing wrong, then it sets you back so far. So, you know, who knows where Popt will end up? But it's going to have to be, as you say, Mike, a really, really important choice. And hopefully you'd think, because he is such a nice boat, it then propels his career and he does great things that he deserves to do. But as we all know, football is never that simple. Another thing that's not simple, Carl, is the conversations that a manager and a player have. Now, these have been really insightful, I think. The Deli Alley one, I think it's been the most striking. Now, we've discussed Deli Alli on this show, and I think it's almost that conversation that you see in episode two. It's sort of summed up what we've already been saying, that, yes, he sort of had a meteoric rise, it's now plateaued, it's dipping up and down and all that. When you see that and you see Deli Alli's expression, do you think that a penny's dropping there? And has that also led into why he sort of dropped towards the end of the season?
0: Yeah, as you say, Dan, you know, from those first few few episodes, you really get the impression that, you know, everyone's saying, oh, he might have taken his eye off the ball and that kind of thing. You actually get the impression, don't you, that 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 is what even Jose's starting to think when he gets to look at him and watch him closely, that, yeah, I think you're a guy who's starting to kind of believe the hype and you've kind of relaxed at where you are and, and you're not prepared to do what you need to to get to the extra level. You know, they're calling him out for being lazy. They're calling him into the office and saying, listen, before you know it, your time could be done and, and you haven't got to where you should have got to. I, I do believe Jose sees a real player there. You know, the comment about, you know, Alex Ferguson told him to sign him because that is a Man United player right there. I do believe Jose wants to try and get the best out of him. But you do just get the impression from the bits that you see. You don't know if it's sunk in massively and you don't know if there's been that real dedication to doing what he possibly needs to. And like, as you say, we are now seeing a guy who has gone from being one of the first names on the team sheet to suddenly like, mm, I'm not so sure today whether I'm going to pick you. I'm not sure if you're in my best 11. And I think time will tell, and this will be a real key season, I think, coming forward now for us to see where Delhi is. Can he find his best form again? Can he get back to that player we had when he first burst on the scene? And if you like, is he taken the view that maybe he has taken his eye off the ball seriously and he's knuckled down? I really hope he does because there's a great player. But if not, I think we're already seeing from these first few episodes, Joe say probably has got his eye on him. And he's starting to think, if you don't start to show me more, time could be coming to an end and you may not fulfil that sort of potential that you really should be fulfilling.
1: And James, there was also an early conversation with Harry Kane. So Mourinho suggested that he wants to take him to the highest possible levels. It's a very admirable point of view. That said, is it a relationship which can be truly symbiotic? Does it depend on whether Silverware can be delivered by the club, by the player, over this season and in the seasons that follow?
2: Yeah, I think I think Harry was talking about that himself. He was saying he didn't want to didn't want to finish his career with with nothing to show for it. Uh, and I, I guess if you're looking at it from from Harry Kane's point of view, the, the bloke sat on the other side of the desk is is the perfect bloke to do that. He's, he's won silverware everywhere he's gone, even with mediocre teams, like Man United in the Europa League, for instance. Uh, and if there is someone who is going to propel Harry Kane to to the that real top. Top level, then you'd like to think that Jose Mourinho, one of the the most famous managers and one of the most well respected managers in the world, is going to be that person. So I, I, it's a, it's going to be a, if we don't win anything in the next two years, it's going to be a big big ask for Harry Kane to stay. Um, uh, but you know, it, I, I just think that we're starting to piece things together, and now that the the kind of initial hurt of of Pochettino going has it, gone for myself. I, I'm now starting to come round to to the Jose style of play, the Jose, the Tottenham Jose, and and you know, seeing him talk in in the way that he talks to Harry Kane and the way he talks about Tottenham does does you know get me, you know it warms the heart a little bit. He's, he's not just this heartless bloke who was a bit of a knob at Chelsea first time round, and he's been here, there, and everywhere, and he's he's arrogant and he gives these stupid interviews. He he seems like he he himself has changed and he's matured as a manager and and Harry Kane needs that um you know it, it's all about the the different kind of styles and getting the best out of each player uh, and Harry Harry needs to be told that, that he he deserves to be one of the best in the world that's that's what he needs whereas with Dele Alli, I think Pochettino was was playing the whole put your put your arm around him put your arm around him you know that kind of figure whereas Mourinho is going to going to tell it how it is and not be as nicey nicey with his approach, and so I think that little bit of tough love will will eventually get the best out of Delhi too. Um, but in terms of Harry, you know, I think I think he's he's a player who he he's not the kind of bloke to to publicly come out and say it, and and you know, and and kind of have like a come and get me plea for another club. I don't think he's that kind of guy. Um, but certainly, he's going to start looking towards the exit door if if this this particular experiment doesn't doesn't play out.
1: Uh, Mike, it's fair to say that Serge Aurier has got some short shrift in these first three episodes. I mean, it's justified, but we talk about tough love. Is that the angle that Mourinho's going for or has he taken a dislike to him?
3: Yeah, I think I think it's just good to see that that you know, we we, we sit we sit in well I certainly sit in the stands week in, week out and these are the sort of things I scream from the top of my lungs. You know, so it's good to see that someone like Mourinho is being paid twelve or fifteen million Pounds a year to manage Tottenham sees the same things we do. You know, it's not, it's not some weird vision you get of how football should be played once you're a professional manager. You know, it's these are the things that we say week in week out. So it's good to finally get some insight. Actually, you know what? It's, they're human, and we can see it as well. You know, I think I think Aure probably respects the fact that he had the the cojones to come out and say it to his face in front of everyone. But like you say, that's. That's where, you, that's where Jose earns his £12-15 a year is by knowing which players he can and can't get away with saying that to. We don't know that this whole Tonga and Dombele debacle isn't because he doesn't do well with tough love or he doesn't do well with his arm around him. You know? We haven't quite got to that part of the documentary yet. So we don't know. I, I kind of see this this season for... for Well, the season just gone, sorry, for Jose. That's him, him testing the waters of who he, who he can and can't dig out and who he needs to put an arm around.
1: OK, that's all the all-for-nothing chat for now. Let's hope Sunday's restart is not all-for-nothing. So, Carl, it's been a slightly indifferent pre-season, but how much should we be reading into this, especially when you consider the amount of disruption that is going on in the, re- in the football world at present?
0: Yeah, you know, to be honest, now pre-season, I don't really pay too much attention to the results or anything like that. You know, the people have meltdown over losing to Watford at the (laughs) weekend. But when when half your squad are away on international duty, and and you're just really trying to get some fitness going and some squad cohesion, you you just got to kind of step back and go friendly. Players are being told to do certain things. They're also being told, don't put yourself on the line. Don't do nothing silly here and get yourself injured. Um, so you just have to take them for what they are. They're fitness games. That's all they're about, really. Um manager can try different things, just try and get players some minutes to warm their legs up and get ready. Um, So for me, I don't really pay too much attention. You know, over the years, I've had pre-seasons where we've won every game 4-0 and I'm thinking, this is it, titles on this season. And then you go eight eight without a win at the beginning of the season and it's all gone tits up. So, you know, in some ways, I'm more happy when pre-season hasn't been that great because, you know, no one's suddenly getting themselves a little bit too excited and, and you fall flat. So I don't really worry about the results, to be honest. My main concern is that everyone comes back no injuries, we're ready to go. I'm disappointed in the fact that you've got players travelling all over the place because at the moment, you know the certain risks that, that can come from that. And I don't want to see suddenly the news breaks on on Friday or something that, you know, someone like Harry Kane or someone has, has got COVID and now has to go into isolation. So I would have just wrapped everyone up in cotton wool and tried to pull everyone out of them internationals as quick as I could. But, you know, I think preparations have probably gone as well as they've gone. And we just have to see what happens on that first game. But Everton have done some decent business Um, and also signing someone like Hamid Rodriguez is certainly going to have them pumped and ready to go. So it's a tough start. It it, it will be a challenge, this one.
1: Yeah, I'll save that question for Mike. But James, I'm just going to ask you centre-backs. It's a very interesting topic. Who starts on Sunday's? the pairing? Do you think that Eric Dyer is now going to be considered solely a defender and no longer this utility player for us?
2: Yeah, and I think that that that's going to get the best out of him. I think you know if 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 Mourinho has gone to him and said, "Look, I see you as a centre back," uh, and then however months down the line Gareth Southgate has, has agreed and, and has has put him at centre back and played him there in his first international for a while. I think that's that's a massive uh, massive compliment for Eric, and I think he deserves it. I think he's been really really good in that role, and I think him and Toby um, that's my starting centre-back partnership could, could be very effective and I think, uh, I think that that's who we will go with as well.
1: And Mike, when we go back to the Everton game at the tail end of last season, the Toffees were incredibly blunt. Their midfield was rather pedestrian. But as Carl's alluded to, things are going to change there. They've got Allen in. They've also got James Rodriguez. Do you think they're going to be more lively this time? Now, especially that Carlo Ancelotti's bedding in period is almost finished. There can't be a work in progress. They're going to look to start quickly. So how much of a threat are they going to be at the weekend?
3: Uh, I don't think either of them two would be much of a threat because I I don't think either of them have started a game for at least a year now. Um, I think that's COVID and injury uh, more so. But, uh, yeah, I can't see either of them starting. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's also a lot of wishful thinking as well. I I don't want them anywhere near the game, hopefully. Um, And then we cruise to an easy 3-4-0 victory, like you say, Everton, Pedestrian in the middle, and we start the season as well as we can.
1: Well, I like Mike's optimism. James, can you match that? We might as well go do the predictions now then.
2: Uh, not quite as, as optimistic, but I'm still going to go a nice 2-1 Tottenham. 2-1, very good. Cole, yourself?
0: Yeah, I'm going to go 2-0 start of the season. Um, Kane and Son, uh, and we'll kind of, I don't think it'll be convincing, but I think we'll get over the line and get the three points that we need to kick the season off with.
1: I'll go for a slender 1-0. It won't be pretty, but still a work in progress. And I think just get a win, get those points on the board, and let's see where we get to.
3: Can right. I also add that? I don't think that's going to be 4-0. Oh, that's no. just what
1: I'm absolutely <laughs>
3: praying for.
1: Right, OK. What's your actual prediction then, Mike?
3: Uh, I'll, take, I'll take
1: a 2-1 OK, that's absolutely Yeah, that seems a bit more realistic um, But yeah, that's a Well, a win's all round So hopefully that is the case Come next Monday We'll be back next Monday Because it's full-time now So I just need to do the admin Which is as simple as thanking the guests Mike, a sterling performance Thanks ever so much I hope you will like to join us At some point in the season
3: Whenever you need
2: me, thank you
1: Top man James, we've got the ring rust away I think, just about So did you enjoy that one?
2: Always do, mate. Yes, be back same time next week.
1: Fantastic. And, Carl, thanks for uh, sticking it all together today. Top effort as always.
0: Yeah, you know, glad to get the uh, first one underway. You know, our pre-season out of the way as such. And that's hope so we can start the season with a bang. And uh, next Monday comes round and we're talking about three points.
1: Absolutely. Right. With that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. And as always, come on, you Spurs.
0: For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free KOIS app now from the App Store and Google Play.